Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience for taking time to be with us today. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. It's good to have a reality check once in a while uh, when we're talking about broadband. There are many great and grand pictures that are painted of broadband, improving economies, uh, revising how healthcare is delivered, transforming education, and, and so forth. And we often see and hear from the, the generals, as it were, the various projects and the captains of industry as they lay out these visions. But in in reality, there's a mountain of details that have to be planned and coordinated and managed to completion, and that process never really stops. But we rarely see the, the lieutenants and the sergeants who take care of the details, and today I want to actually look at what some of those um, details that just about everybody involved in broadband projects will have to wrestle with. The um, Urbana Champagne Big Broadband Project, uh, UC2B for those in the know, is a uh, $36 million broadband deployment project that's funded in part by uh, the broadband stimulus through NTIA, uh, through the state of Illinois, the University of Illinois, and several other organizations. And the uh, Finnish network will cover both of those cities. Uh, today we have three of the uh, key people from UC2B to talk about uh, the devil in those details that they have to work through every day. I have uh, Laisha Meddards, who is the program coordinator. Uh, she deals with a lot of canvassing and outreach efforts to support the construction and customer acquisition. Uh, we have Dr. Mary Alice Wu, who is the director of Atlas, which we will find out some interesting stuff about. Uh, they've led the uh, research um, and data collection efforts and identifying low Internet adoption areas and, and tracking trends in the area. But there's also an international uh, element here. And we'll, we'll, like I said, we'll get to that in a little bit. And then also uh, Shavion Scott, who's a program specialist uh, who is uh, providing GIS and fiber management uh, that also supports uh, construction efforts and also canvassing. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> no worries. So let's start with uh, an overview of um, what has has been accomplished so far. I believe you started the, the project in 2009 or was it 2010? 2009. In the, in the summer of 2009, actually in July is when the project started. Okay. And so where are we to date? How how are things rolling along here? Well, um, it's a, that's a loaded question because we've had a lot going on since, of course, 2009 and the first um, survey that was conducted throughout the community to even see if we were um, eligible to receive the initial NTIA funding uh, for uh, the UC2B project. And we have definitely come a long way. It has been um, a lot of planning, a lot of replanning and planning again to figure <laughs> through, you know, all sorts of um, um, elements of the project. And um, we are at the point right now of um, installing the last uh, round of customers who have signed up for the service. Um, we are at the point of installation. We are at the point of having uh, customers hooked up to the service. Uh, we have... Um, our community anchors who are um, connected to the network. We have households that are connected. Um, some of our libraries and schools are also on the network. Uh, so we've come a long way, and we're actually in the operation stage as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. So the network is up, live, and running. It is. Excellent. It is. And, and, and it's covering both Urbana and Champaign, or is there still work in one city or the other? It's covering Urbana and Champaign, and we also have a few um, anchor institutions in Savoy, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Champaign. Aha. Uh -huh. So now what's the, the, the primary mission? Is this a uh, economic development effort? Is it a digital inclusion effort or, you know, all of the above? But what's, what is, what's your primary objective with the network? 
I would definitely say that um, it's all of the above. Uh, we have been um, very strategic and I would say also very um, intentional about the process that we've gone through just with uh, all of our efforts around the project. So um, ensuring that we are engaging the community, that it's a community planning process, um, making sure that we are really geared toward uh, building digital, digitally inclusive communities um, in low income, but not necessarily, uh, or no, more so uh, underserved uh, in unserved areas around the Champaign and Urbana community. Because the reality is that, you know, we are in a digital age and more and more we're moving toward technology to do some of the simplest everyday things um, in life, whether it's uh, looking for jobs, um, online training, uh, just being able to have access to technology uh, that will help to advance uh, our human development needs. Um, we've really looked at it as, you know, economic development for the cities in which we live um, and making sure that we are uh, at the forefront of uh, advancements today um, and also making sure we have a very personal, uh, very personal insight into uh, those that we are serving, you know, they will use this every day. They will have some impact from um, actually having the, the technology, the service, that access, and or not. So we want to make sure that we're able to uh, look at a very macro and micro um, aspect of these mm -hmm. efforts. Let's start this by uh, looking at, you know, a lot, a lot of what I want to cover today is you know the mechanics. I think a lot of the people who uh, tune into the show are people involved with broadband projects. And any tips and advice to help folks, uh, you know, not make the same mistake, reinvent the wheel. You know, those kinds of uh, you know tips and, and advice is really uh, really what, what the show is all about. So let's start with um, canvassing, um, which might go under the umbrella of market research and the corporate side of things, if this were a corporate project, but uh, what type of things did you do to, um, uh, to, to, to canvas? Was it mail? Was it door-to-door? -door? And what worked the best as far as getting really good information that you could use? Well, we, we took both approaches. Our primary point of contact was door-to-door -door canvassing. Our door-to-door -door canvassing started in November of 20. 11 and um, we were out in the cold and um, you know going door to door and it was it was a nice time to start because I think you know people were of the holiday good cheer and they welcomed <laughs> us with, with open arms and you know they felt sorry for some of our um, ambassadors as they were out uh, canvassing with the cold weather but um, it was a great way to touch base with the community and make face-to-face -face contact uh, to get to know the people in these neighborhoods and what their concerns were uh, with with uh, internet service within the community, um, what their um, setbacks were, why they didn't have internet service, the you know number of people that would be using um, the service within their home, and just a lot of different uh, personal stories as it relates to internet usage and um, internet knowledge. And so our primary point of contact was the door-to-door -door canvassing, um, and it was it was very helpful um, and a very good way to just um, be in the know and to understand the needs of, of these 11 census block areas that we were serving. Um, mm -hmm. We also made um, contact via mail. We made a couple of efforts with our um, surveys, uh, by mail, and then we also have uh, taken part in various outreach opportunities. So we've been a part of a lot of uh, community uh, uh, projects and, and events. We've been a part of neighborhood meetings and, you know, going to speak at um, um, different social clubs and um, community events and even leading community events also just to um, get the word out more about um, the operations and about the UC2B service and how it could be of benefit uh, to those in these areas. Um, so canvassing in general was very um, was very helpful um, for a number of reasons. Um, we implemented the survey and um, was able to we were able to touch a number of people. Uh, Mary Alice and her group were the ones that were very critical 
um, a critical component in designing uh, the survey, the survey questions, and helping us to uh, develop our um, methodology. Yeah, methodology for getting <laughs> out there in the field. Um, so she can uh, speak uh, greatly to the survey. If you don't mind, I, I want to take a quick step back because I, I do think it's a very important step, and that is is that process of actually uh, obtaining the grant. Mm -hmm. And um, for us, it was, as I say to everybody who asks me about this project, it was the most challenging project I've ever taken on in my life, mm -hmm. probably ever will, and the most rewarding project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we did, from start to finish, um, with the assistance of a lot of people, we gathered all this information within three weeks. And when I Whoa. say from three weeks, I say from not having a questionnaire to having the data. I, I can't even, I lost count of the number of hours I worked on this project. But that said, I think one of the reasons that it, it succeeded was because we had the backing of the city of Champaign, the city of Urbana, the University of Illinois. We had this great consortium that was working together all towards this goal of gathering the information, writing the grants, seeing all of this through. And it would not be possible both then and now, if we didn't have all of these key stakeholders involved together. Mm -hmm. We had the city of Champaign was printing surveys. I mean, we had 24 hours to print 2,000 surveys. I mean, the, the time crunch on this was was extreme. Um, so so that I, I just wanted to touch base on that because we learned a lot from that experience. Um, mm -hmm. Aisha was a, a volunteer in that project. Mm -hmm. um, we identified some great people in the community. It was run basically by volunteers. Right. And um, I, I think it's important to mention those volunteers because those people within our community not only became excited about the project and spread the word about the project, but they also became involved in the project once it came about in 2011. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great testament to uh, the hard work and the importance of this project. Um, we actually ended up hiring one of the student volunteers here in our office because she was instrumental in, in getting all the data clean and so forth. Um, but now I'll leap forward a little bit to 2011 and, and some of the things that we learned. So, you know, back in 2009, we had four days to gather the data, which is knocking on doors, and we were trying to knock on, on basically um, 2,000 doors with 24 volunteers. And, and you can calculate the man hours. It was kind of crazy. Now we take that experience. We, we look to 2011 and say, well, we have a little more time now. Um, what did we learn from that 2009 experience? What would we have liked to have done? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the main things that we wanted to do was we want to get rid of paper. Mm -hmm. And, okay. um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you should have seen our conference table with yeah. all 2,000 yeah. pieces of paper. It was crazy. Um, we wanted to get rid of paper, and we were trying to figure out what is the best way to do that. And, of course, iPads were hot. They were new. Um, there mm -hmm. weren't a lot of other devices out there at the time. And, and Professor Gant, who is one of the key players in this project, um, who wasn't able to be here with us today, he was really excited about taking the survey, putting it online, um, putting it in an iPad so that as the ambassadors, the community ambassadors walked around, they weren't shuffling paper. And I mean, it, 2009 was kind of crazy. We had all kinds of paper, and, and it was <laughs> wild. So we moved on from that. and. Um, we use iPads. Now, a, a lot of people talk about um, the speed. I mean, we're talking broadband here. It's really fast. One of the interesting things about the iPads that we ended up doing was we ended up using an offline device. Um, and the reason we used the offline device was because we, um, we found out that as we tested the survey that we still had to wait for pages to load. Even, um, you know, the network, and, and 4 LTE wasn't out then, so we were on 3G at the time. Um, we, we figured, you know, when you're having a face-to-face -face conversation, you can't say, uh, wait for that page to load. Can I ask you the next question now? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have a conversation with somebody. That's exactly what that canvassing, what that face-to-face -face environment is. And um, so we used wireless. 
and we would upload surveys after um, after we were done with the household. So that that's one of the things that we learned. We did intensive testing because it is key that when you are out there, when you're taking the time of, of the community members, that you not lose that data. I mean, how, what a nightmare mm -hmm. to go back to the house, which I told them, no, you can't go back to the house if you lose that data. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't want to, you're asking people to give up their time um, to talk with you, and so you don't want to have to go back to them. And so we tested the heck out of these systems to ensure that we would have as little data loss as possible. Um, so, so that was one of the changes between 2009-2011 is we went paperless. Um, I'm trying to think of another another major difference was kind of the purpose of the survey. So in 2009, we did a random stratified sample to figure out if our northern part of our cities that we had identified, if they were, um, if they were going to qualify for the grant. Mm -hmm. Now we move towards 2011, 2012, and our whole purpose shifts. Now we are seeking to get the word out. We are seeking to get people excited about the service. We are also seeking to understand you know, what is a good price to offer this service? Can, you know, can we work that in? Um, we had questions about price, and there were things that surprised me. We did some tests with these questions. Um, I always joke with my colleague because I was, I, I said to her, I said, you're not going to get an answer to that question. And we had two price questions. The first one was just open-ended, and it was, you know, what would you pay for broadband access? And people would give us an answer. They would say $15. They would say $20. They would say $100, whatever the answer might be. And I laughed with my colleague. I said, okay. And she, I said, if, if somebody asked me that question, I'm like, the cheapest you can give me. Just whatever, you know, is, <laughs> if it's less than my cable bill, I'll pay it. I mean, that mm -hmm. would be my personal answer. Yeah. Um, but the second question that we asked, because we were attempting uh, a price point, was would you be willing to pay $19.99 for this service? And the thing that really surprised me with this with this survey um, and the answers was that while people might say, well, I'll pay $10 for the service, and if you ask them right after that, I mean, these questions were right next to each other in the survey. If you ask them that, um, would you pay $19.99 for the service, more people said yes to that. Mm -hmm. And that really shocked me, but it also made me happy because, uh, that $20 price point was something that was affordable for this project mm -hmm. and, and desirable. That was That's what we were seeking, we were hoping for, and the community really responded to that. They said that this is something that we can afford. Um, to give you a little bit of background, cable costs about, well, depending on your deal with the cable company, anywhere from $50 to $65 for what we consider broadband access. So it's a significant difference mm -hmm. between um, what UC2B is, is ready to offer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Shavion, you were, you're involved with the, um, the, the GIS aspect of this. Um, was your role to take the data and, and, and create uh, maps, or what, what was the GIS role in all of this? Sure. Um, the GIS uh, was very critical in just really outlining the infrastructure within uh, the 11 eligible areas that we were um, providing service to. So uh, a lot of the, the data that I would use in particular um, often came from uh, city sources in particular. Our GIS consortium um, is uh, one specific uh, resource for that. So we would literally, you know, use um, different layers and um, just kind of data files to uh, identify, you know, where are the different uh, municipal buildings, where are um, the community boundaries, um, and really being able to, uh, you know, display that in a map, but then also lay on top of that exactly what our seven-ring infrastructure looks like, who that serves, um, the kind of present-day um, side of you know, these 11 census block groups that would have access immediately through UC2B, but also um, these seven rings because they span Champaign, Urbana, and also our neighboring uh, Savoy, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, later build out and later access for the surrounding areas. So uh, GIS is really uh, a primary resource and tool in, uh, in identifying the infrastructure and really kind of seeing a very broad uh, view of the project and its full scale, but also going uh, to the even minute details of specific premises 
um, being able to identify where our service terminals are throughout the community and um, specific ports that link to every single household or business or community organization that's around uh, the service area. So uh, it really, like I said, just provided a basis to um, bring the infrastructure uh, to a very uh, reasonable and manageable scale for us to think about and conceive on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, but also to um, really, uh, I think, manage it in a way that our construction teams had it in a form, um, whether in that large scale or very small scale, uh, to the premise um, to, to really see the project through at each phase. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Now, as you... Um are doing this, uh, you know, you, you, you're gathering data, then you're mapping data. Um, were all three of you involved in the, not just the construction planning, but also the planning of, I don't know, the message, the marketing message? Um, well, you know, there are a lot of different people involved um, with the project, of course, with just such a, a large-scale project, and we are one component of it And in representing um, the university and the canvassing operations and survey and data analysis and um, Shavion with the GIS and fiber management assistance. Um, so working from the university side, um, most of within um, GIFLIS, the Graduate School of Library and Information Science, we were charged with the canvassing and outreach, and we were um, involved um, heavily with the marketing of this. I should also mention that the City of Champaign is the lead agency um, for UC2B, and they oversee all of the different um, functions um, from canvassing on operations to construction we have. Um, a couple of different construction management teams that are with us um, and subcontractors um, for the build-out who do the day-to-day -day management and, and, and overseeing, you know, all of the construction detail, um, whereas um, in our efforts, we have helped in various ways to provide information to do um, uh, uh, screenings of the area to, to turn over to them so that they would be aware of um, certain premises and um, uh, their outlook for the actual build-out to those particular homes. Um, as it relates to marketing of, of uh, the UC2B project, um, I'll go back a little bit too because I think one of the key people, all of us have been very key people <laughs> in it when you have so, many, so much details to work through, um, but our community ambassadors, we've referred to them um, before, but the community ambassadors were people um, who were really the start of the marketing of UC2B in that um, we hired people and we, we did um, a, a great effort to try and get people from the community who lived within these 11 census block areas who would know the areas, um, who were familiar with the uh, anchor institutions that would be served, especially on the neighborhood level. Um, so hiring um, people from the community to serve as these door-to-door -door ambassadors to get the word out. Um, they were our first point of marketing and did a very, very good job uh, to just make connections within the community um, and spreading the word. Um, they, they, we, we conducted over 19,000 um, um, touch points with over 4,000 premises and um, going from November of 2011 through roughly November of uh, 2012, uh, we conducted a number of different um, um, approaches to the home um, for the initial survey to understand the internet trends in the area, um, then also to get the word out about UC2B and important um, to, to just get an understanding of people's uh, digital um, background uh, to help reach people and making sure that they understood how important this type of technology would be for their human development needs. And so this um, form of contact, I think, was one of the best methods that we really could have taken on with this face-to-face -face contact because we had so much opportunity to uh, talk to residents about the service, about their needs, about their questions that they had, 
um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, then moving on forward from that, we've also taken a number of different approaches for marketing um, the UCDB service, um, you know, through print and mailers and postcards and radio, um, radio ads, um, and also I think another important thing was just being able to get out into the community um, and meeting people where they were. So at their neighborhood meetings, we've had you know multiple times that we've gone to um, neighborhood meetings to sign people up for service, to make them aware of the service. Um, we've gone to um, various uh, social clubs and to and being a part of events, just setting up a table and you know having UC to be. Um, um, information and, and tools and representatives out there to answer questions. And um, we've held uh, various um, events uh, along the way um, to make the, the, the community aware of what this service represents. And the distinction between the UC2B service and um, any other service that was available. And um, I think one of the um, key things was just the making people aware of the distinction and the access and the importance of it. And of course we ran into a lot of issue and concern with, you know, people just wanting to know why is this so important and what separates UC to be from any other service that is out there. And of course one of the greatest drawing points was the price point. The price point was was great because we did find, you know, in our study that the barrier between many people, the non-adopters in these areas, was the price. And that was um, a big barrier for people. I think at about 45% of people yep, listed yep. price as being one of the, um, the the reasons that they did not have Internet service in their home. And so UC2B service, um, with the help of the um, grant funding and the university um, subsidizing uh, the, the rates, um, starts off at $20 a month for 20 megabits, and then there's a 30 for 30 and 40 for 40 plan, and then some additional tiers for our commercial subscribers. Um, but that was one of the most important things, I think, was just mm -hmm. the affordability of it and people knowing that they weren't tied to a contract and they mm -hmm. weren't tied to any additional you know, schemes or hesitation. People were really hesitant to sign a contract because they said, oh, are we starting off at $20 a month and then it's going to go up, you know, after right, six right. months. Um, they were, you know, very leery of that. Um, so just being able to have the flexibility um, and then the affordability was just a great draw point for UC to be in, in our marketing um, that was very helpful to draw people in because they were really wanting a service that, was not something that would, you know, hit their pocketbooks um, like the other competitors had. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you recruit and motivate your ambassadors? And also, how did you define between who was a volunteer versus who was a paid person? Mm -hmm. Well, in 2009, it was all volunteers. The 2009 survey was a complete volunteer effort. Um, and Mary Alice did a great job of leading that and organizing all these folks. <laughs> you know, I was involved in the initial uh, volunteer efforts too and going door to door and she just kept it all together and with all these people over, you know, the that three week period. Um, a little more incentive with getting paid for it, you know, moving <laughs> forward to two thousand and eleven. Um we we led a number of different um one of the things I think was helpful was leading application assistance mm -hmm. um, opportunities throughout the community. We set up at um, a number of different churches and um, local organizations to help walk people through um, the application process, um, especially wanting people from the community um, to be involved. We mm -hmm. wanted to get ourselves out there as much as possible and then to be as of much assistance to ensure that there were no barriers there. Um, the universities, um, these people were hired through the university's extra help um, service and um, the application process, there's a lot of different steps involved. So we wanted to ensure that that wasn't a barrier and so um, we set up um, a number of different um, opportunities for them to come in and to, and to get help with applying for the position. Um, we 
advertised it, you know, on the newspaper, online, on our local um, TV stations. And um, once we got the ambassadors um, on, we had we went through um, a hiring process, an interviewing process, and we were really able to um, get a good group of well-rounded people mm-hmm. from, you know, different backgrounds, <laughs> you know, different age ranges, uh, different perspectives um, from the community, and, and folks who really um, were able to make a difference in um, connecting with people. Um, you know, they were from the community, many of them, and they were able to connect with the community in ways that, you know, I think, you know, other members may not have, you know, coming from a very technical background. Right. They were able right. to meet people at their um, human needs and, under, and understand, you know, from being within that community what their particular neighborhoods need. Mm-hmm. Were the um, churches a a key element of the I don't know of the push of the volunteer effort? Did they take an active role, or if if so, how active? Or if or was it kind of they were just like all the other subgroups, if you will, of the community? Um, I I would say that the churches were a key component, but not necessarily in terms of volunteers. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we had three weeks on this project, and so uh, the call went out for volunteers um, internally in terms of, is there anybody that can um, volunteer people from your organization? We had people um, from the city who would come in after hours and volunteer. We ran three shifts, so, you know, if you wanted to volunteer in the morning, the afternoon, or the evening, we had opportunities for that. We were lucky because at that time frame, um, Part of the American Recovery Act was to fund some um, some youngsters, uh, basically, you know, people who are in high school, people who are um, under the age, I think, of like 23, 21, um, and the federal government had given some funds to encourage people to hire young people into jobs so that they can have some, they can gain some job skills. And um, we were happy to be able to uh, tap into some of those people. Um, so, in terms of the volunteer effort, I wouldn't say that the churches were a major component, but I would say that they were a major component in getting the word out to mm-hmm. their community, mm-hmm. saying this is going on, this is the purpose of it. There were a lot of reverends who mm-hmm. spoke to their congregations, mm-hmm. um, so that people weren't surprised. I mean, nobody wants people knocking at your door. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, you know, it, it is a barrier, and do you open the door to these people? These are things that we talked a lot about in the early stages of, of planning this, and one of the things that we um, asked the cities to do was to mail an official letter to every household that was selected in this survey that this is happening, this is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, we had ID badges made so that don't open the doors unless you see an ID badge. Mm-hmm. Here are the phone numbers to the cities if you have questions about this, whether or not you should open the door to, mm-hmm. to this person. So there was a huge effort. There were uh, public announcements made on all the radio stations going on about what's happening in the community. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me, because, you know, everybody had to do everything on that survey. Mm-hmm. And I went out canvassing. Um, and I remember seeing some other people um, walking around canvassing that weren't part of our group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they were kind of, you know, dovetailing on our efforts to go gather some information. Um, so it was key to have um, those churches involved mm-hmm. to let their congregation know, you know, who's going to be coming to their door, what kinds of questions you should be asking them to, to really um, give us entree into their, into their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and the churches have, um, they've been a great voice. We've had a group of churches who have really lent their voices to being a part of the public uh, process for uh, developing UC2B. And um, a lot of churches who have also, especially in these uh, 11 census block areas that qualify for the service, who have signed up for the service, who are using UC2B in their computer labs, who are just you know, very big advocates for getting people connected. We have um, a, a a group of churches who are really committed to uh, bridging the digital divide and, and providing digital literacy, and they have um, senior classes that they operate. They have youth-focused computer courses that they offer. And so they have um, definitely uh, served as um, as 
huge advocates for us, and not only from um, the personal um, standpoint, um, but also from um, their organization standpoint and being able to get their members involved, get their members online, and connected in a number of different ways. Interesting. So it is basically, um, it's a very aggressive grassroots with some clearly identified, uh, I guess, primary champions or primary vehicles to kind of drive the effort. I mean, you talked about the churches, talked about the, the radio stations and so forth. And being a marketing person from way back when, you know, this this all resonates with me because it's it's key to the, the word of mouth uh, side of things that really have to be um, emphasized if you're really going to get that support that you need in terms of you know people becoming subscribers. And and just a clarification point here or, or question: uh, the the network is for all of the city, right? It's not just for digital inclusion. Or did I miss something? It's not. It's for uh, eleven. The eleven. Um, census block areas that were identified from the original 2009 survey that was conducted. So the 2009 survey identified um, areas within our community um, who were at a 40% or higher uh, non-adoption rate, where mm -hmm. the neighborhoods were at a 40% or higher non-adoption rate for Internet service. And so um, from that survey, this, that's how the 11 census block areas were, were identified. Um, and those areas are the ones that are able to connect uh, to the UC2B service. We also have uh, a number of community anchor institutions that are connected uh, to the network um, throughout the community. The grant called for us to identify um, organizations, um, and what was the, the term that was used? I can't, uh, populations of people, um, underserved populations. and so we were able to um, identify a number of different organizations um, that would qualify under under the grant for um, for the UC2B service. So we have over 150 um, community anchor institutions that are connected uh, to uh, the middle mile infrastructure and then the opportunity to have over 2,500 um, residential homes to connect to the direct fiber to the premise connectivity. Okay, but will other other people in the community also be able to subscribe to the service, or is this strictly a digital inclusion infrastructure? So uh, I was just going to jump in and clarify one point, which is um, because we have these community anchors, we uh, these community anchors did not need to be in the 11 census area blocks, and okay. um, so that really allowed us to build a larger infrastructure. So instead of, if you can imagine, and we're traditional here, we have a north end of town and we have a south end of town, <laughs> and the north end of town is where the 11 census blocks are. Um, so instead of just having those fiber rings in the north end of town, because we were allowed to connect the community anchors, all the schools are connected, the hospitals are connected. Um, we had a number of community anchors that are spread out throughout Champaign-Urbana, um, those fiber rings are much larger and encompass the entire area. Now, I think your, your question, can anybody within Champaign-Urbana connect to the network? The answer is not at this time. So at this time, an individual household can only connect if they are in those 11 census blockers. Um, there, of course, are lots of discussions on how we can get the rest of the community connected, um, mm -hmm. but the grant was specifically identified to be able to connect those those areas in the north end of both of our cities. Hmm. I'll just I'll just add really quickly um, something that was something else that was really key was because we know that these 11 census block groups in particular are not the only. Um, areas necessarily that could benefit from these areas. That's why it was so critical for us to um, really have a philosophy around our community anchor institutions kind of being that bridge. If we're not able to provide this service to everyone right now, those anchor institutions still serve our target population, and so we want to make sure that they are connected to that infrastructure and, um, you know, We'll see what the future holds as far as allowing that infrastructure to serve a larger portion um, of our population. But um, 
we we try to be again very intentional um and I would think conscious about um those that we are able to uh, specifically provide the UC2B service to, but also kind of future planning along those lines as well. Mm-hmm. So is this to say that the the, the business plan, uh, the financial sustainability of the network is, is going to be maintained by those 11 uh, census blocks and the anchor institution subscribers? Right. The current business plan model is... Um, just takes into consideration those that are in w- within the 11 census block areas, the businesses that are connected, and the community anchor institutions um, in hopes for it to be a sustainable model. Uh, we are looking into opportunities to expand um, outside of uh, these 11 census block areas and the community anchor institutions so that it can be a more sustainable operation. Um, right now, we don't have anything that is um, developed for that opportunity, but um, the cities are looking at other opportunities to expand outside of uh, these these zones that, that are dedicated right now. So, for example, um, if there were a group of businesses that were in other parts of the community that banded together and said, hey, you know, we'd like to tap into this network because it's better than what we're getting elsewhere, uh, can, you, can, can your organization uh, meet that need? Or are you allowed to meet that need? Well, it is. It's an it's an open access um, network, and if there were a group of businesses that banded together and said, "Here's the money <laughs> to do the expansion and the build out," you know, mm-hmm. that is something something that's definitely um, open at the table, mm-hmm. and um, something that UCDB would certainly be welcome to. <laughs> um, there's a, a, a policy board that governs uh, UC2B um, that is made up of both cities of Champaign and Urbana and um, also includes um, community members um, to represent. And, and so they uh, take into consideration um, the number of opportunities that are available. And we've recently actually just um, reached out to our um, community outside of these 11 census block areas to understand their interest and um, to be a part of a possible uh, build-out of funds. We haven't, um, and I'm part of the competition um, to to build out and to receive funds from the community. Um, So we're looking into opportunities um, for expansion. However, we're not there just yet. Mm-hmm. And we'll continue to to forge forward. But yes, if there were uh, companies that band together and provided funds, there is definitely the opportunity um, for there to have an expansion okay. in the network. Now, you guys, uh, um, you guys uh, also applied for the computer uh, for money under the computer center grant, for lack of a better word, the, the broadband adoption part of the broadband stimulus. And um, and also the computing center parts of the business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, did you have a plan B since uh, since you didn't get money from those respective parts of the stimulus? Did you have some other plan for uh, getting money so that you'll be able to uh, to uh, address those those two areas that didn't get funded by the stimulus? I wish we could say that we had a plan B because I, I think that um, because we got the underground funding and we didn't get the above ground funding, that definitely has caused, um, you know, a, a need to be filled because we do have, you know, this. we're trying to fill a, a human need, you know, to solve a human need with a technical um, um Methodology, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're we're building this infrastructure, um, but we do still have a number of people who um, are needing digital literacy um, classes and who are needing to have more information available to them um, in our marketing and and providing our subscribers with information. We have tried to compile, um, you know, just like a. a the five things you need to know now that you have internet. Where mm-hmm. are you know places that you can go for information um, to learn about setting up uh, an email account? You know what are the do's and don'ts of the internet? What are the things that you need to be aware of? Um, 
you know, how do you connect with your family and friends through um, social media. Um, so we've tried to collect um, a number of different resources for the community um, to be aware of, but there certainly is a need for um, digital literacy classes. Uh, the Center for Digital Inclusion, uh, which was um, recently um, developed within the Graduate School of Library and Information Science, um, is uh, where Shavion and I um, work out of, and it has um, the opportunity to, and has along the way, provided a number, a number of different um, digital literacy um, classes and has helped the community um, far and wide to um, get computing sites set up. Uh, it's helped churches and organizations to um, set up computing sites and has offered a number of different classes um, and workshops uh, for people to become more digi digitally literate. And that is one of the things that uh, UCDB is working on. We have what's called a community benefit fund where um, as the um, network becomes more operational, a percentage of the revenues gained will go towards um, the community benefit fund to help with digital literacy classes and to help different organizations um, and churches in different ways. Um, so those things haven't been um, completely identified and exactly how the funds will be used. Um, but that is something that um, is in development and um, we're really striving towards trying to provide that plan B for mm -hmm. residents and to um, get them more informed about um, technology opportunities and how to use the network to their best advantage. One of the things that we hadn't mentioned is that even though we offer these different rates and we have the great rate of the 20 for 20, um, anyone who's connected to the network has a one gig connectivity. Um, so even, you know, no matter what price point you're on, no matter what where you are on the network as far as your, your service rate is concerned, mm -hmm. anyone that's connected on the UCDB service has um, a connection speed of one gig from one household to the next, or mm -hmm. um, if, you know, we have one of our um, libraries that's connected and our schools that are connected, you have a one gig connection from UCDB subscriber to UCDB mm -hmm. subscriber. Um, so the, just the benefits of connecting with people within the community who are on the UCDB network um, has definitely been a benefit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted to add that, you know, we are very fortunate um, because of the resources in this community. We have three different libraries. Mm -hmm. um, we have a huge library at the University of Illinois in addition to the School of Graduate Library Information Science, but we also have very um, prominent libraries in both cities. And for those who are not familiar with Champaign-Urbana, we have a street that divides us. And in fact, we're sitting on the Urbana side street, but if you <laughs> cross the street from where I am right now, you'd be in Champaign. Um, that's how close we are. And and the nice thing about having all of these library resources that are open to anybody in the community, you do not need to belong to the University of Illinois to use the University of Illinois resources in the library system. Um, there are computers there. Each of the, um, there are people who will teach you different things. So if you go to the library, there are people available there to help you get online, to help you connect. Um, it's not ideal, but that is a resource for the community. Um, and we do have this fabulous, in fact, it's rated number one. They won't tell you. They <laughs> won't tell you, but it is the number one library information science uh, school in the United States. And so they have fabulous people who go there. Um, and those people do outreach as well. And um, I, I'm not sure, I know that they have classes um, that will go out and help community members. One thing that we haven't touched upon um, very much, which I'm, now I'm jumping around here, um, is the open access network, which is so key to this project. Um, and one of the things that it allows businesses to do in our community is to rent fiber. They can rent fiber and provide services to the UC2B community. They can provide cable if they want. Um, they, they can provide any kind of service that can be carried over fiber. Um, they can lay their own fiber. Uh, and that, that was one of the elements of the grant that, um, that allowed us to, I think, really win it over. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. uh, so if you're talking about businesses, there are opportunities for businesses beyond connecting to 
the fiber, but it's also using the fiber. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna quick transition here. We got about ten minutes left. I, um, Dr. Wu, you are involved with some stuff internationally, and if we take two minutes just to kind of get an idea of those projects and maybe one or two lessons learned from what you're seeing in other those countries that you're working with, how that applies here in the U.S. Uh, well, that's a big question. Um, I, I will, so right now I'm doing several projects um, in collaboration with some professors uh, at Oxford University in England. And um, one of the things, and, and this is UC2B again, uh, one of the things that I have been able to take here from the United States over there is to use the iPads, to use these wireless devices um, to be able to obtain some information. And in Uganda, we are currently working um, in an area to gather information on how puberty affects girls' educational attainment. Um, we are also looking at alternative products um, that are acceptable to teenage girls, so we're working in secondary schools. Um, I have traveled over there um, quite a bit over the past year uh, to go over there to train people. They are so excited to see these iPad devices. It's, it's, really, it's really fun to work with these people. Um, it, and there's all kinds of challenges working in developing countries. The first time I went there was uh, about two Novembers ago, and I, I walked there, and, and there's no electricity. And you think to yourself, well, how am I going to charge these iPads with no electricity? Ah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, little things that we take for granted. Um, we came up with, you know, we had people who were flying in later bring us car chargers. Um, we we were you know thinking on the fly here, and mm-hmm. um, we were we were very fortunate to have a very good group um, both in in England here in the United States who really supported us, um, and there on the ground in Uganda, uh, and we were able. The thing that fascinates me is we were able to gather information in these rural areas, um, very very rural. Uh, they had no electricity, no hot water, no running water. And um, we were able to use the cell networks and upload those answers, and immediately I had that information here in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. It just—it was fascinating um, how how fast, how quickly we got that data. We were able to communicate only by cell phones um, in order to kind of strategize in terms of what the you know the challenges that were happening on the ground over there. Um, now, recently, we've gone into Bangladesh. And um, we are now studying um, consumer uh, products being entered into villages, the impact on the community in terms of garbage, the impact on the community in terms of sanitation. Um, Really fun, fascinating projects. And once again, we're using the iPad devices, and now we're going to sell devices as well. Mm -hmm. And, And so all of the stuff that we're learning on the ground here at UC2B is driving this research, um, is really helping us. Uh, learn about communities in, in areas that have very little resources. And, mm-hmm. and that that's really exciting to me. So now that's, okay, so the, what you're doing in, in Illinois helps is helping with the stuff going on uh, internationally. Are there, there, is there like one key lesson that you've learned from your international experience that we here in, in the U.S. should be aware of or privy to? Well, that's a, that's a great question and I hate to say my answer is not technological, but uh, rather I, I come back from these from these countries and am floored at the difference between between um, utilities. Uh, electricity is such a huge component, um, and and I know this doesn't have anything to do with <laughs> broadband and so forth. Well, I guess you need electricity to do broadband, but. Um, uh, every you really you get used to it when you're over there, but you come back here and it's it's culture shock. It's almost the reverse. Uh, we're so fortunate in this country to have um, electricity, running water, hot water, um, and we take those things for granted every day. I've gotten used to America now, so I take those things for granted now. But when I go back there, I'm, I'm kind of culture shocked, and then I get used to it. So mm-hmm. I, that that's my example of something that I I take back with me. Um, the other thing that I that I learned when I was over there is there are very smart people. Um, I have worked with people over there who work in uh, impoverished communities, um, and there are a lot of hardworking people who come to um, 
come from the city, go out to uh, go out to these areas and encourage children to get educated. Um, a great gentleman there named Joseph, who I worked with extensively, uh, and he was from that area and had gone to college and come back to his community because he wanted to improve the conditions um, in his own community. And he's just such an inspiration. And so you see that not only in the United States, you see that um, all over. It doesn't matter where you are. The people want to give back to their community. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that I brought back with me. Okay. Well, we're running down to about four minutes left. What I want to do is put all three of you on the spot. One minute each. What's one key lesson for keeping on top of all of the various details that go on with getting moving these broadband projects forward? We'll start with uh, Alicia. Oh, <laughs> I thought I was going to be able to point to somebody to go first. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I would say that the one key thing for getting uh, these the broadband efforts forward is to always keep the customer um, in mind, mm -hmm. uh, the end customer. Um, along the way, it's easy to get so wrapped into uh, the technology and the construction and the different um, operational points, but the whole idea and the whole mission is to um, bridge the divide and is to um, meet people's development needs. And so with putting the infrastructure in place, I think the most important thing is to always keep the customer in mind. So at every single stage of development, it's always important to be in the know-how, to be in um, connection with the people who have um, the, the direct involvement um, and who have listened to all of the voices and have understood all of the concerns um, to have, you know, just that coordination point where you always at each level understand that and how um, each point of operation will affect the customer. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the, the greatest points that we've learned and we continue to learn from is that what's going on, you know, you know, how uh, MST is, is configured, you know, and at, at every point that you have to redevelop and replan it, it always has um, some type of impact on the end customer. And we are building something um, for people um, that they can use and that they can develop um, in a way that's going to be meaningful for um, their lives and for their households. And so always keeping um, that person in the forefront of, of your mind and as as you you know move forward with everything is very That's important. Shavion, one minute. What's your key uh, advice point? I would say my key advice point would definitely be um, being able to identify your strategic partnerships, being able to understand and know the resources that are available and accessible to you in your communities, and not feeling like you have to necessarily take on an endeavor on your own, but to be able to come together, mobilize. And, and I think just create a bigger impact than you could do by yourself. So that would be my takeaway. Excellent. And Mary Alice, batting cleanup, what's your one? Oh, my. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can top those those two answers because I, I, I say ditto. Those those are key. <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the stakeholders, it is so important to um, – to be able to gather the information and the expertise, mm -hmm. um, to build upon what Shavion had said, you don't have to do it on your own. Um, we didn't do it on our mm -hmm. own. There were so many people involved here, mm -hmm. and when you have so many people involved, you sometimes are going to have challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to keep a smile on your face. Mm -hmm. You got to move forward, and that's something that I think we said throughout this project. We're moving forward. Mm -hmm. We're going forward full steam ahead. And um, one of the things that I ran into somebody in Chicago and said, "How did you how did you able to get this done in in 18 months?" And I mm -hmm. said, "We had a great team. We had great people working on this across the cities. And everybody said we have a goal, and we're going to continue to move forward with this goal, even with the challenges that we meet." Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, so we are at the end of our show. I want to thank all three of you for being our guests today, uh, Laisha Shavion and Mary Alice. It's been a wonderful show, very informative. Uh, I'll be coming to Champagne before you know it. <laughs> we'll do one of these shows live up close and personal and see what's going on there, and I think that'll be a good, uh, a good show for our audience. So uh, much continued success with everything that you're doing, and uh, it's just it just sounds pretty awesome.
So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Great. And thank you to our audience for tuning in once again. Uh, I've just gotten confirmation this morning. I'm going to have FCC Commissioner Clarkburn on the show on the 23rd, so you don't want to miss that one. Put it on your calendars. Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk again soon.